I want to talk to you about re-engagement. You see, I am deeply convinced that God, he redeems us. Look at me. He redeems us. He buys us back. He restores us. We're in this process of recovery in our life. He revives us and he rebuilds us so that we can re-engage once again in a lost and dying world. The purpose of God doing a great work in our life is that we might be a reflection. Everybody say reflection of God's glory. And so I want to talk about re-engaging our neighbors. I want to talk about re-engaging the world. You see, the truth is most people in the church don't realize that God's will is very, very simple. You know, in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus tells us exactly what God's will is for our life. Now, so many people are saying, I want to know what God's will is. I want to know who to marry. I want to know where to work. I want to know where to live. Friends, it's simple. I want to give you a simple formula of finding the will of God in your life. It's found in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. There it is. That's the will of God. You say, how does that... How does that fit into my marriage? How does that fit into work? Everything in life revolves around those two commandments. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And you know what? When you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, it's not hard to find his will. When you find him, you find his will for your life. When you submit and you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when you are aligned and centered with the will of God in your life, I promise you he will direct every step that you take in your life. The Bible says if we trust in the Lord with all of our heart and we don't lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways we acknowledge him, he'll make our path straight. So it's in our pursuit of loving God and loving our neighbor that we find the will of God in our life. And so the truth is, as we look at the scriptures, we find that God calls us to re-engage. But Jesus tells us the key to discovering all of these things are found in loving God. In fact, Jesus told the religious Jews of his day, after you search through all of the scriptures, you will conclude one thing, that all of the law of the prophets and the commandments point to two very important things, and they're found in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. So I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This is a story about a person who is willing to engage engage in his world because he was engaged with God. He was engaged in his relationship with God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 10 verse 25, on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your Mind all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Do this and you'll live in the will of God. Do this and you'll find the will of God. Do this and you will do the will of God in your life. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, and who is my neighbor? 
In reply, Jesus said a man was going down to Jerusalem, uh, uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell in the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and I, when I return, I will reimburse you for the extra expense that I may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the men who fell in the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This story is about engagement. And the truth is each person has a decision that they need to make in life. Just like these three men, they chose to either engage or disengage. They chose to either engage in a situation that would bring life, that would bring healing, that would bring help to somebody, or simply disengage in the moment. Now, I want you to know that the will of God is found every 30 seconds in your life. You see, you have 30 seconds to make a decision most of the time. Are you going to follow God or are you going to disobey God? Are you going to share with somebody or are you not going to share with somebody? And it's, it's, it's a difficult thing when you think about uh, surrendering our will to God, surrendering ourselves to God. You know, we want to reach out, but there's, 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 there's that 30 seconds in our mind when we've got to respond. We've got to respond to a waiter. We've got to respond to a waitress. We've got to respond to somebody that's in need. Either we can pass by and say, I didn't see it, or we can do something about it. You know, we were traveling home from vacation uh, Friday evening and we stopped at a restaurant and I just couldn't help it man I'm telling you it was just one of those things where the waiter was waiting on me and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and, and I had to make a decision was was I going to respond and share the Lord with this young man or was I going to just keep on eating saying nah that's not that's not God God wants me to just enjoy my vacation and so the guy came over and I just I had a, a moment do I engage with this man or do I disengage in my heart and at that very moment I just said to the young man I said you know what my family and I we voted that you are the best waiter that we've ever had and he smiled he said thank you very much he said you'll make me happier if you give me a tip now no he didn't say that And it just drew him in. And the moment I said that, it drew him in. And I said, young man, I want you to know that you have served us. He was excellent. You have served us with incredible excellence in your life. And I want you to know that God wants you to do excellent things in your life. I said, you know what? Keep up the good work and, and take this to the next level because you're not going to stay here forever. God has a plan for your life. And I was able to tell him that God had a plan for his life and just engage him for a few moments. I said, listen, wherever you go, search for God. In the center of everything you do in your life, find God. Just search for God. And I had a choice to make. Was I going to engage or disengage? At that moment, we have 30 seconds to make a decision. Are we going to pass by that situation or are we going to, are we going to engage in that situation? So two people chose to disengage in this story. 
Now, they probably had some really good reasons why they should disengage. They had religious reasons. Listen to me. They had religious reasons. Why? Because the guy could have been dead, and a priest was not supposed to touch a dead body. They could have had some good religious reasons, traditional reasons to keep them from engaging with this poor person who was about to die. They had practical reasons. They were just simply too busy. They had to get to the church. They had personal reasons. It was way too dangerous. I mean, this road was a very, very dangerous road that they were traveling on. The last thing they wanted to do is stop because you know what? If you stop on the side of the road, it could mean that somebody's actually uh, actually tricking you and actually endangering you and ensnaring you because somebody else will jump out and then they will rob you as well so there were personal reasons and then there were relational reasons. he wasn't related what does he care he wasn't related to this person it doesn't matter now let me tell you that there are some really good reasons why we should engage with the poor and the needy and the desperate in fact to be very honest with you that Christians find all the excuses in the world not to engage with the poor and the needy Christians who don't engage with the poor in their lives, Christians who uh, don't engage with the needy and the desperate, those that have lost good reason, have logical reasons and good excuses why they don't engage. Good Christians, church-going Christians, God-fearing Christians, Bible-reading, praying Christians always have good practical reasons why they don't personally engage with the poor and the needy and the desperate. The church has always been filled with Christians who were silent. In fact, Martin Luther King, and I have to tell you, if you have never heard Martin Luther King Jr., his speech that he gave on the nation's capital some 50 years ago, you need to go back, go on YouTube, and listen to the speech in its entirety. That was one of the most anointed, inspired speeches I have ever heard in my whole entire life. Every preacher, before they preach, need to sit down and listen to Martin Luther King and his speech that he gave on the nation's capital. It was incredibly inspiring. Martin Luther King said that people will not know you for the things that you did. They will know you and remember you for the things that you were silent about. The things that you did not do. The things that you would not engage in. Being silent is one of the most deadliest killers in this world. It's kind of like a smoke detector that's silent, that doesn't go off. It's a very deadly thing. Christians who have disengaged when they could have given food and resources to people in their community. Christians who were disengaged when... Those around the world needed to see us respond to disasters. Why do Christians disengage instead of engaging in the lives of people? And by the way, Jesus clears up who our neighbor really is in Luke chapter 10. He says our neighbor is anyone that we can help. Anyone that we can help. And did you know that we have neighbors today all around the world? We live in a global world today that is very, very clear and very close to where we are today through the Internet. And so we have neighbors all over the world. It's not just our next door neighbor any longer, not the person that's living right next door, but our neighbor is anyone that we have the power to engage with and help 
in one way or another. That's our neighbor. That's what Jesus says. So there are reasons for disengagement. I suppose there are many. We become self-absorbed with our own lives. We become callous to the needs around us. We are afraid of the risk that's involved in engagement. In fact, I believe, though, that the greatest obstacle to community involvement and engagement, reaching out to our neighbors, is found in what I call the disengagement mentality. The disengagement mentality. And friends, one of the most destructive characteristics of a dying church is a disengaged mentality. Churches that don't really reach out and impact their community are bound, listen to me, by a set of thoughts that keep them from really making an impact on their community. You see, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will reach an entire community. And the early Christians, they reached their community. In fact, the Bible says in Acts that they turned, they turned upside down their world. In fact, the Bible says that, that when they came to a certain village, the people of that village said, oh my goodness, there they are. These people who turned the world upside down, they have come to visit our community. Acts chapter 17. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows, and baser sword, and gathered a company, and set all the city in an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out of, out to the people. And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brothers unto the rulers of the city, crying, These have who have turned the world upside down, they have come here as well. Wow. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine having that kind of reputation that wherever you go, you turn the world upside down? You know, as Christians, we want our world to be right side up. We don't, we don't want to disturb anything. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't want to take any chances. We just want to live this life, die, and go to heaven. So most Christians are satisfied with simply existing in their community, but never changing their community. I will never forget a powerful evangelist who came to visit our church many years ago. And it changed the way I saw this community in Valley Stream. We were going out for lunch after service one Sunday afternoon. And he said to me, he said, Steve, I want you to understand this one thing. You are the pastor of this community. He said, you are the pastor of Valley Stream. You pastor this whole community. You don't just pastor the people that are in your church, but you pastor the community. It changed the whole way that I saw my community. And so mostly every day I will pass by the stores and I will pray for the people in stores. I will visit the people in the stores. I will spend time with the people in the stores. I will talk with them, develop a relationship with them. Why? Because I'm their pastor as well. They don't know it. But I'm their pastor. Why? Because I'm the pastor of Valley Stream. I see a wider radius of what I can affect. And friends, you need to recognize every one of us are ministers. We're servants of the Lord. And we have a job to do. And that is to engage our world on a daily basis. But there is hope. Because there are some people that are getting that picture. They understand the power of engaging. They understand that they have to put one foot in front of the other foot. And they have to step out in faith and engage the world. Let me tell you two stories about two young people. Very young people who made a difference in their world. The first story begins in Pakistan. At the age of four, Iqbal Masi was sold to a carpet store from his father, for 
so that his father could pay for his brother's wedding. Is that sick? Igbal was forced to work until he could pay off his debt. He earned one ruby a day, which was reduced when he made a mistake. Igbal had no hope of ever leaving the factory. When he ran away after six years, he owed 13,000 rubies, about $419 in American dollars. Iqbal was a child slave working in the looms for 12 hours a day. He was physically and verbally abused. He was not well fed and he was chained to the loom each night. The long bending work hours led to a curvature of his spine causing him to stop growing. Inhaling the dust in the factory affected his lungs, making breathing very difficult. At age 10, Iqbal escaped the factory and was eventually saved by the bondage labor liberation force. Iqbal became a member of the group and traveled around Pakistan. The, the group traveled around Pakistan speaking about the difficulties of the labor laws and how they would change the laws and he urged children to leave factories and adults to fight for better working conditions. He received invitations to speak in Sweden and the U.S. and other countries. He was awarded with the Reebok Human Rights Youth Award when he was 12 years old. Iqbal's fame earned him death threats from powerful members of the Pakistan carpet industry. And on April 16th, Easter Sunday, 1995, Iqbal was murdered while he was riding his bike. Across the world in Toronto, Canada, in April of 1995, Craig Kilberger, 12 years old, read the newspaper article, Battle Cry for Labor Laws, Boy Murdered at 12 Years Old. That sparked a social, social movement that is thriving even today. The article was about Iqbal Masi. Craig was deeply disturbed by Iqbal's story. He decided to find out more about the child labor laws in Pakistan and around the world. It was more difficult than he anticipated. After being encouraged to pursue his idea of starting a children's group to fight child labor, Craig approached his classmates with the idea. Several of his grade seven classmates volunteered to help. Free the Children was born. Over the next few months, they gathered as many facts as they could and traveled to other schools in the area to give talks on the problem of labor. Less than a year later, the Free Children organization was born, and Craig traveled to Asia for seven weeks with a family friend. He wanted to see the problem for himself. He traveled through Bangladesh and India and Pakistan and Thailand and Nepal, observing and talking with children working as slaves in dangerous, tedious jobs. In his book, Free the Children, on page 280, he wrote, The trip had a profound effect on me, one that changed me forever. I would spread the word about the suffering of all the children I met. I would let the world know that we, too, are a part of the problem. I would not fail them. You can view a short video of this if you go on YouTube. It's an incredible, incredible story of two young men who decided to do something, to engage in the problem, not to disengage, not to live halfway across the world, but to engage in the problem. Today, Free the Children, listen to me, is the world's largest network of children helping children through education, 
with more than one million youth involved in innovative education and development programs in 45 countries. Is that powerful? One child, 12 years old, decided that it was more important to engage in a problem than to play his video games. And today there are over one million teenagers that are connected to making a difference in their world. Let me tell you another story. This story is about Ryan Ulek, who learned of a great need for clean and safe water in developing countries in his first grade class in 1999. With the support of friends, family, and the community, Ryan raised enough money to build a well in Africa. At age seven, let me say that again, at age seven, Ryan's Ryan's first well was built at Angola Primary School in northern Uganda. Ryan's Well Foundation was formed in 2001 and has since helped build over 630 wells and 700 latrines bringing safe water and improving sanitation services to over, listen to me, 705,000 people. That's a whole lot of people. This one young person, seven years old. The passion of a grade one student grew into a movement that has allowed countless people, young and old, from across the world to take responsibility and make a difference either in their own community or like Ryan, in faraway places. There's more. This is an incredible story. There's Jimmy's story. His is the story of a journey from a small village in northern Uganda to Ryan's home in Canada. In 1999, while Ryan was busy trying to raise money for a well, his classmates became involved with the project through a partnership with Angola Primary School. Ryan was partnered with Jimmy, and they began writing each other. Jimmy shared his firsthand, firsthand knowledge of the water problem. I had to walk eight kilometers there and back carrying a small container, maybe 10 liters. I had to go back and forth again and again to fill a pot and take it home. Then I went to school. The water was not clean. It looked like chocolate. In 2003, Jimmy was abducted by the Lord's resistant army. He managed to escape and made his way to the home of a project coordinator for Ryan's Well Foundation. Long story Short, Jimmy came to Canada and became a permanent member of the Hurtlick family. Jimmy now works with the foundation sharing his experience with water issues and other living conditions in Angola, in Uganda. So even kids in first grade can make a difference. If we all choose to engage, we can make a difference in our world. See, these kids simply chose to engage and they're making a great impact on this world. Listen to me. If we're going to make a great impact on our community, if we're going to make a great impact on Valley Stream, if we're going to make a lasting contribution to our communities, if we're going to really see God move in the lives of people outside the walls of this church, then we're going to have to embrace, listen to me, a culture of engagement. Everybody say a culture of engagement. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. You see, the truth is, many Christians have a mindset of disengagement. Well, why should I bother helping someone else? They got themselves into that mess in the first place. Have you ever told yourself that? 
Well, why should I reach out? It's too dangerous. I don't have time. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm going to heaven. That's all that really matters. But you see, we're going to have to engage people and love them. We're going to have to engage people and serve them. We're going to have to engage people and give them hope. We're going to have to engage people and bring them the gospel. That's why Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They will engage God, God will engage them, and they will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them, without someone engaging them? And how can they preach unless they are sent to engage? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who engage people with the gospel. Somebody say amen. So what's some characteristics of an engaging church? Let me give you several, quickly, several characteristics of an engagement, engaging church. Write this down if you would. Number one, an engaging church knows that we as a church are commanded by Jesus to constantly get outside the four walls of our church and engage. Listen to me. The tendency is to build ministries that keep people confined to the building. The tendency of the church is to create ministries that will keep people happy, that will satisfy their wants. We have all kinds of ministries in the church. We've got spin class. We've got bodybuilding class. We've got all kinds of self-help classes. Why? Because we want people to be happy with the church. So we create churches with the idea that we're going to satisfy the needs and the wants of the people so that we can keep them coming to the church building. Listen to me. The tendency is to isolate. It's to be safe in the four walls. We can sing, we can shout, we can listen to sermons, we can even love one another. But that never ever is going to ever ever change our community. Jesus says to us that we are to go into the highways and byways and engage people. He said we're to go into our community and engage people. We're to all get out of our comfort zone and engage people. Where? At work. Where? At the diner. Where? At restaurant. Where? Wherever we find people that are in need of a Savior, God calls us to engage them. Now, we don't have to always preach the full gospel to them, but we've got to say, God, how is it that you want to use me today to engage somebody that needs to know the Lord? It might be by taking some pamphlets with you and, and giving it out to people. It may be that you might go to the na or your neighbor and, and, and bring them a cake or, or whatever it is but some creative ways in engaging the world taking that first step and saying God I want you to use me you see every ministry in the church must plan to reach out you know I tell all the ministries in the church celebrate recovery ESL GED the house of hope the youth ministry the children's ministry I am always asking them this one question how are you engaging the world what are you doing to reach out to the world? You see, a church that is alive, a church that is healthy, is always thinking, okay, we're glad that we're here. How do we engage the world? We're glad that we're safe in the house, but now how do we go outside of the house and engage the world? 
So I want to ask you a question. If you're a part of a ministry in Bethlehem Assembly of God, how is your ministry engaging the world? You know, the truth is, in a few weeks, we're going to start the Radical series. And it was kind of comical because I heard some people saying, good, you know what? I can do a Bible study with my friends now. And there's nothing wrong with doing a Bible study with your friends. I think it's awesome. But why not think for one moment, why not, instead of just thinking about us four no more, why not always have an empty chair and say, who can I invite to my small group? Who can I reach out? Who can I, what, what neighbor can I invite into my home to think about and, and talk about the claims of Jesus Christ? Hmm? And so that every time you think about discipleship, every time you think about fellowship, every time you think about church life, it should be, okay, how can we include somebody else in that? How can we engage another family? How can we engage our neighbors? How can we engage somebody to join us in this process of loving God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind? So how is your ministry, how is your small group, how are you personally engaging in your community? Now, some of you, you might need to join the Little League. Some, I'm going to encourage you, join Little League. The other thing that the church does is keep people so busy in the church that we never have time to get involved in other organizations outside of the church. And you know what? I have one person on my staff who actually is a part of the Chamber of Commerce. And she's rubbing shoulders constantly with people in the community. And we're building relationship with those people. Why? Because the truth is we can't keep it to ourselves. We've got to engage. Number two, an engaging church is always finding new and creative ways to engage the world without compromising the message. There it is. We don't compromise the message. But he is still the answer to our community. And how do we find ways, creative ways, to be able to get out in the community and help people in a practical way, in a very creative way, so that we can engage them. So that Jesus can become the solution to the problem. You know, the church is so often known for what it's against and never for what it's for. Hey, listen, I am against drugs and alcohol. I am against abusing your body. I am against a lifestyle that goes contrary to the scripture. But let me tell you what I'm for. I'm for loving God. I'm for reaching out to people because God loves them, glory to God. I'm for blessing people. I'm for not judging people for where they are because they don't know any better. I'm for reaching them and saying God loves you and has a plan for your life. And I'm willing to sit and listen. And I'm not, I'm not going to judge you. I'm going to sit and listen. And then I'm going to give you a solution to the problem. Come on, somebody say amen. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, though I am free... And belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Wow. Can, can, can you grab a hold of that for a moment? He said, to win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself are not under the law, so as to win those that are under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. Wow. To win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possibilities, I might win some. Wow. It's powerful. You know what that's saying? 
That's saying Paul the Apostle is going to engage. He's going to do whatever he can to engage with people. He's not going to compromise the message. How many of you believe that Paul ever compromised the message? He's never going to compromise the message, but he's going to be creative. Meeting people where they're at and, and giving them a solution. Engaging the world. In other words, Paul was driven by a desire to engage with everyone he could and find new ways to connect them to God. A church that engages in their community finds different ways to meet the needs of their community. It could be by cleaning the park. It could be by a free car wash, a food giveaway, adopting a public school, cleaning people's yards and raking their leaves, water giveaways or kids events and on and on and on. Hope days in our community. A church that engages their community never stops praying for creative ways to find new ways to meet needs in their community. Number three, an engaging church is filled with Christians who are deeply convinced that engaging the loss is not an event but a lifestyle. That engaging the lost is not an event that we do once a year. Okay, we're going to have Hope Day, and everyone's going to come out to Hope Day. We've done our obligation and our duty for the year. Now we can go back to not engaging the world. But engaging the lost is a lifestyle. It's not something that we do once a week, but it's something that we do every day of our life. Now, that doesn't always mean that God's going to give you a divine appointment every single day of your life. Let me tell you something, though. I'm pretty convinced that when you begin to pray, it seems that they come every day of your life. If you're open to God and you're open to the gospel and you're unashamed of the gospel, that God will give you all kinds of opportunities that you're missing right now. See, engagement happens all the time, not just at church-sponsored outreaches. It happens everywhere. Number four, an engaging church loves to serve people. And an engaging church, listen to me, has a mentality of service. How can I serve you? See, we don't have a mentality of take, but we have a mentality of giving. It's not an entitlement mentality, but it's one of servants. And the truth is that I love when people in our church, they say, whatever it takes, Pastor Steve, I'm out there. And man, it's an incredible thing when you see a senior citizen get out there on Hope Day and hand out hot dogs or set up chairs or go and rake somebody's lawn. Incredible. It inspires me. It, it blesses my heart when I see young and old getting out saying, you know, we're here to serve you. We at Bethlehem Assembly of God love to serve people. Serving is not a burden. We don't serve people to gain God's approval. We don't serve people to receive God's blessing. We don't serve people out of guilt. We find joy in serving people, and the more we do it, the more we love it. We even anticipate having a great time while we do it. Come on, somebody, say amen. <laughs> I love serving people. I love getting out in the community. Let me tell you something. Watch me on Hope Day. I am going to have a blast. I mean, I am going to smile. I am going to high-five every person that I can see. You know, when we did the... Uh, Convoy of Hope Outreach, I had a blast. I high-fived everybody I could. I smiled at everyone. I had a blast. I had fun doing it. Why? Because it's fun when we serve people. It's fun bringing the gospel to people. It is awesome and exciting to be able to see what God can do when a church serves their community. Number five, an engaging church considers serving others as a sacred privilege. It's not just fun. But it's the most sacred privilege we can have on the face of this earth. I get 
to serve the king. I get to be an ambassador of the king. I represent Jesus. Turn to your neighbor right now. And I want you to say to them, listen, even though you're still the funniest looking person I've ever seen in my life, you're an ambassador of Christ. You get to represent Jesus. You see, although we could never repay the gift of Christ's sacrifice, and we celebrated that today, we receive the greatest privilege and joy by serving and representing him. Number six, an engaging church is deeply convinced that our lives are not our own, that we're bought with a price, and our lives are not our own. Everything that we are, everything that we do, Everything that we possess is conditioned by the lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives. There's no, this is not a question of convenience. This is a question of lordship. Jesus told me to do it. Whether I'm having fun or not, Jesus told me that my job is to go into all the world and engage the lost with the gospel. And you see, I'm not my own. You see, the problem with today's gospel in America is we believe that Jesus has come into our life to make our life better. Jesus came into our life to be Lord and Savior. Come on, somebody. And we're bought with a price. We're not our own. He's our Lord and Savior, our Master. And if he tells us to do it, we follow his command. This is not a, a question of convenience or desire. It's a question of lordship. Number seven, engaging church recognizes that engagement is an invitation to participate in the kingdom of God. I love that. That we have been given an invitation to participate in the kingdom of God. Number eight, an engaging church is fueled by the fact that whenever we fight against darkness, listen to me, whenever we fight against darkness and brokenness, we fight for God. We fight with and for God. Listen to me, darkness shows up in this world in a thousand different ways. Family, family failures, financial despair, emotional imbalance, and, and the grief of life is, is all around us. And the mission of the church in the world is not just to get people to accept Jesus in order to gain forgiveness and preparation for their death. Rather, the church exists to embody the God who works to restore and heal a broken creation. Let me say that again. That's powerful. The truth is, the mission of the church in this world is not just to get people to accept Jesus in order for them to gain forgiveness or prepare them for death, but rather the church exists to embody the God who works to restore and heal a broken creation. Number nine, an engaging church releases everyone to serve. And number 10, an engaging church does not judge people for where they're at. It meets people so it can bring them to the Savior. And lastly, an engaging church sees pain and suffering as an opportunity to show the love of God. An engaging church never misses opportunities to be the hand of God. Let me read it once again, as we close this morning, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest 
happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. He didn't wait for the man to walk into his church. He didn't wait for the man to get up, clean himself up, bandage himself up, and get good enough to walk into the church, clean enough to walk in the church. The Bible says he went where he was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Friend, when's the last time God touched your heart? When's the last time you allowed God to give you a compassion in your heart that you would take pity on the lost, those that are dying and going to hell without Christ? And when he saw him, he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. You see, Engaging the loss will cost us something. He brought healing. He brought physical healing. He took his own oil and his own wine and he poured it into this man's body. Then he put this man on his donkey. It's not always easy and it's not always fun. But he put this man on his back and he traveled and he came to an end and he said, Whatever this man uses, I'll pay for it when I come back from my journey. It will cost us something. But the question is, who will you be in this story? Who will you be in this story? Will you be the religious person who found every excuse to disengage? Will you be the church-going person who finds no passion and no need to engage in the world or will you be the person who engages takes a step out who knows there may be a little girl or a little boy or a teenager who will make a great impact on this world like Iqbal Masi like who at the age of seven decided I'm gonna make a difference and today, over 709 million people have clean drinking water because he decided to engage. Let's pray. Lord, nice sermon. Lord, packaged pretty good. But Lord, it's not about nice sermons packaged in a nice story. It's about people who get out of themselves recognizing that it's an honor and a privilege to serve the King. So Lord, I pray God for every person in this room. Maybe today, right now, you say, Pastor Steve, I'm not sure that if I died, I'd go to heaven and I need Jesus to come into my life, be my Savior, my Lord. I want Jesus to forgive me of my sin. If that's you today, why don't you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me today? I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. And I need Jesus to come into my life. I just 
raise your hand. I want to pray for you today. Say, yeah, pastor, pray for me. That's me. That's me. Well, that means that every person in this room is a believer. So our, our job at the end of this incredible series of messages about the power of re is that now we have decided to re-engage and do something about all that God has done in our life. Lord, help us to engage. I want you all to stand to your feet. And I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you this week. We've got one week left before we engage the community. we got one more week left, folks. Before we do the largest outreach that we've ever done in Valley Stream. Expecting thousands to come. We handed out and gave out and sent out to homes approximately 20,000 invitations for Hope Day. And when people come on Hope Day, we're going to engage them. We're going to give them groceries. We're going to give them shoes. We're going to take care of their children. Their children are going to have a blast at Hope Day. We're going to have a concert. We're going to have free food that we're going to cook for them and serve them hot dogs. We're going to have a medical tent. We are going to engage Valley Stream like we've never engaged Valley Stream before. Listen, we can preach sermons all we want, but we've got to do something about it. When we say we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Amen? So we need to pray. We need to pray for Hope Day. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We need to have a prayer meeting for the next 15 minutes and pray for Hope Day. I, I want you guys to pray for good weather. I want you to pray for people to respond and come. I want you to pray for people when they come to Hope Day that they'll give their lives to the Lord at the altar call during Hope Day. We're going to do it a little different than what we do at Hope uh, Convoy of Hope. We're going to actually have a, an altar call where we're going to call people to come forward to give their lives to Jesus and a lot of different things. We're going to have a prayer tent, all kinds of things. Pray for your neighbors and your friends that you can invite them to come out to Hope Day. It's not just for the poor and the needy. It's for anyone who needs the gospel. How many of you, you know somebody who's got a poor spirit who needs the gospel? And they're going to be able to come and hear and see a drama presentation and, and hear the good things about what God is doing and can do in their life. And after you're done today praying, we're going to come to the altar. We're just going to pray for Hope Day. I want you to gather. In fact, I want you to gather around me. We're going to pray. We're going to have a prayer meeting for Hope Day. And when, when you're going out, somebody's going to hand you a card. Maybe you've done it last week already. We're going to give you one more opportunity if you didn't do it. They're going to give you a card, an invite card. I want you to take that card, and I want you to begin to pray for the person that you're going to invite to the largest outreach we've ever had in Valley Stream. All right, let's just gather as a church right now. Come and pray for Hope Day. Come on, let's get out of our seat. Pray for Hope Day right now. Let's just pray. I'm going to invite you to come right now and just pray for Hope Day today. Just pray. Just pray for good weather. In a few moments, we're going to pray out loud, and we're going to pray, and we're going to agree in prayer for Hope Day. Come on, guys. Let's pray for Hope Day. God doesn't do anything without prayer. Amen? God doesn't do So we're going to pray God's blessing on this. You know, we can have great ideas, but we need God's blessing. Amen? How many believe that? We need God's anointing. You know, we're going to be meeting, listen to me, we're going to be meeting at the park, at the Village Bandshell, the Village Green. 
And I'm going to encourage some of you this week. How many of you live in Valley Stream? How many of you live in, maybe? Good. If you, don't, if you live in Valley Stream and don't live in Valley Stream, I'm going to encourage you to go to the, to the Village Green and walk around the Village Green and pray. And listen, if you can, if you've got the stamina, do it seven times like Joshua did. Amen? And just call down the walls that are, that are keeping people from the gospel. Pull down the walls that are keeping people from coming to know Christ as their Savior. And let's just pray right now. Come on, let's pray. Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray, God, for Hope Day. Lord, we pray, oh Lord Jesus, that you would just give us a heart of compassion, Lord. God, it starts with your church, Lord. God, I pray that you would make us an engaging church, Lord. God, that this never gets old. God, I've been doing this, Lord God, for 30 years, Lord. And it never gets old, God. Lord, every time, Lord God, we have another opportunity to engage our community. It never gets old, God. I'm so excited. I can't wait, Lord, for Hope Day, God. I can't wait to see the, the hundreds of people that are going to come, Father. Lord, I can't wait to see the altars, oh God. I can't wait, Lord God, to see somebody handing somebody a hot dog, Lord. God, somebody giving somebody a hug, God, a smile, Lord. I can't wait to see that single mom, Lord, come, Lord God. And we give her food, Lord God, and shoes for her children, Lord God. I can't wait to see that little kid, Lord God, with that bicycle that he won, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God. I can't wait, Lord God, to see all the great things that you're going to do next Sunday, Lord God. Father, we pray right now, God that you would just give us an engaging heart, God. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart of evangelism, Lord God, that we would still believe that Jesus is the answer for the world. Lord, it doesn't matter what the atheists say, Lord. It doesn't matter what the non-Christian says, God. We know that the church is the answer to our community, God. And Lord, if the church left the community, Lord God, we would rape the community of the very best, Lord God. We would be taken out of the community, the salt and the light. Lord God, we've been we would take out of the world, oh God, the preservative, Father God. Lord, we ask, oh God, that you would give us a heart of compassion, God, in the name of Jesus, Lord. God, that we would reach out, Lord, and even if one person, God, comes into your kingdom, Lord, God, all of heaven rejoices, Lord God. Father, we pray for good weather next week, God. Father, we pray, God, that you would just, God, give us sun, Lord God. Shower us with the sun, Lord God. Father, I pray, God, that you would give us, oh God, a, a beautiful day, Father, to be able to get out, Lord God. I pray, God, that you would give us workers and laborers, Lord. You said, Lord, pray for the laborers, oh God, to go out into the harvest field, God. For the, the, the harvest is ready, Lord God, and the fields are white unto harvest, oh God. But God, Lord, we need workers, oh God. So we pray, God, that you would touch every heart today, God. Lord, that you would use us, God. Lord, even if we're a senior, Lord, or a little child, Lord God, every one of us, God, we release them, Lord God, into the harvest, God. Father, we pray, God, for those that we would invite, Lord God. Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, for our neighbors, Lord. God, for our relatives, Lord, for our friends, Lord God. Lord, some of them don't need shoes, Lord. Some of them don't need food, Father. But every one of them need the bread of life, God. Every one of them need Jesus. Every one of them need a Savior, Lord God. And Lord, let them see, Lord, this is what the church does, God. Lord, everybody knows what the church is against, Lord. But nobody knows what the church is for. God, we're for loving people, God. We're for reaching people, God. We're for serving people, Lord. God. We're forgiving to people, Lord God. Oh, Father, touch our hearts, Lord. 
fill us with the Holy Ghost today, God, and send us from this place, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, we pray, God, Lord, for the lost and our loved ones, Lord, that even today you would begin to speak to their hearts, God. Lord, we pray, God, that as we fast, oh God, this week, Lord, God, as we pray this week, Lord, for this outreach, Lord, Father, we pray, God, that there would be many people, Lord, in our church, Lord, that would go over to the Village Green, Lord God, and walk around the Village Green during the week, Lord God, praying and fasting, Lord, for this community, for Valley Stream, Lord God. Oh, God, many of us don't live in this community, Lord, but you sent us to this community, Lord. God, there's a reason why we're here, Father. So we pray, God, we pray for the leadership, the mayor, Father, God, for every person in this community, God, that you would do a work God you sent us here to be a light father and God we thank you Lord for the work that you're going to do God Lord we ask for your grace Lord we ask for your grace Lord we ask for your strength Lord this week Lord we know Lord the enemy is going to come against us this week Lord but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world God and Lord there's no weapon that is formed against us that will prosper God and you have given us the keys of the kingdom Lord and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church Lord hallelujah hallelujah Lord Jesus thank you Jesus hallelujah come on let's just thank him let's thank him say thank you Lord come on say thank you for a great outreach Lord come on say thank you for souls come on say thank you Lord thank you for the provision Lord the resources oh God hallelujah 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 Lord hallelujah Lord Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now listen, the Bible says, we're going we're gonna to sing that song, Oh Happy Day. The Bible says that when one person comes into the kingdom, one person, that's how important it is. One person comes into the kingdom, all of heaven rejoices. Amen. So we're going to rejoice on our way out. Because we're going to believe God's going to do a great work. How many of you believe that God's going to do a great work at Hope Day? How many are with us? How many, are, how many of you are engaged in the outreach? You're engaged in the process. Amen? Now listen. Next week, we're going to have a beautiful t-shirt for you that says hope on it. That's all it says. Hope on it. So you can wear it other times. And on the back, there's going to be the website of our church. It's going to say hope. And we're going to have a t-shirt for you. We got... Listen, there's like 1,500 people here, but we got 400 t-shirts, so you better come early to get your t-shirt, amen? Now, now I want to tell you that you can help us. Here's how you can help us. You can donate $10 for the t-shirt. If you donate $10 for the t-shirt, four of those dollars go back into feeding the poor and the needy. How many believe that's a pretty good deal, amen? That's a pretty good deal. So come next week, make sure that you come early now the good thing about being in the first service is you can get a t-shirt we don't know about the second and the third right so let's go out sing that song oh happy day how many of you are happy in this place no god's gonna do a great job amen hallelujah yeah come on come on chris oh happy day happy day wash my sin away oh happy day Happy day, I'll never be the same.